why why would I pay a premium for you know to bring in this outside consultancy or why would I pay a premium to hire this person as my you know VP of analytics you know I, I I know this guy whose son just graduated from high school and he knows a little bit about Google Analytics he put it on his blog we can just hire him I'm like I I can't even believe we're having this conversation that you're valuing someone with two months of experience the same as someone with 15 years of experience and and until that changes. Welcome to 33 Tangents, a weekly podcast featuring a rotating panel of co-hosts that all work together in the same company, but live in different areas of the world. The discussions cover a wide variety of topics from digital analytics to working remotely to current happenings in business and technology. Our regular day-to-day conversations often go off in various directions, and the goal of this podcast is to share our ideas and find new ways to engage with others. And uh, I want to give you props for helping me adjust my my mic. Uh, I went back and listened to a couple of the most recent episodes compared mm-hmm. to a few episodes back. This positioning is so much nicer. It's warm. It's clear. Yeah, it's, it's just sometimes you got to just play with it and figure it out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and it wasn't until I actually looked on... Um, uh, the blue website where they, I didn't realize it either until that point where it's like, you got to talk to it this way. If you try talking into the top, it just doesn't just, pick it up yeah. the way, the way the mic works. Yeah. You know, cool. and, and, and we're, we're not, we're not professional audio engineers. We're just kind of winging it. We're getting there. People I, listen. I'm, I'm, I'm seriously looking forward to the day where you get that mixing board. So, so Evan, when he was on show, showing us some of his gear, he's got a little mixing board and a little stuff. Like we, we've yeah. got to at least get to that level. That was awesome. I don't know why yeah. we need it, but uh, it I'll cool. find a reason. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll, I'll find a reason for us to get to. Get Ma- to maybe point. we can do live sound effects and you can be like the radio DJ guy and you have a bunch of stuff stored up on your board and someone says something funny. Mm-hmm. You hit like the symbol crash and you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, because I think, do I have stuff in here? No, I don't. I, I, I have little video clips. I don't have audio clips. So, yeah, maybe wow. we get to that point. That would be next level. Speak, speaking of that, my, my son called me at 11 o'clock last night. I was, like, asleep. And I'm like, well, what do you need? He's like, what's, what's, what's the thing we can put on my computer so I can be a YouTuber? I need to edit my videos. I'm like, you have iMovie on your, your laptop. Mm-hmm. He's like, I know, I know, but the, the sound clips suck on it. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, they're not good enough for the YouTube quality videos I'm trying to create. So, well, I, I, I have a membership to, I think, Audio Blocks that has a ton of royalty free sound. Okay. So turn him loose on that. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I like, depending on what he's recording, you just got to start I, somewhere. I, that's what I told him. I said, you haven't, I said, you, I have not seen you post one YouTube video. So why don't you go create some videos, get more comfortable with iMovie. Use there's iMovie iMovie has a ton of built-in audio clips you can use. When you've reached the limit of the cool factor you can do with that, then let's talk. But at least get one video published before you start complaining. Yeah. I mean, right now I'm using iMovie for this. Yeah. Um you know, and, and eventually I'll probably outgrow that, but you can um, do a lot I'm, with iMovie. There's yeah. there's a lot of power there. I I create the audio file in GarageBand. 
and I create the video file in iMovie and it gets me, it gets me everything I need. And it's, you know, like him talking like that kind of reminds me when we first started talking about this podcast three years ago, Mm. Um, three years. Well, we started talking about it three years ago. It was two and a half years ago that we actually started publishing. Yeah. And you know, we, we we at one point like early on kind of fell into that paralysis state of waiting for everything to be perfect that you know we just had the perfect flow that we had the perfect audio clips that we had the perfect sound i mean it was it wasn't until we just kind of said like let's just buy a couple mics so we have decent audio sound and they're, they're actually really good microphones yeah um and then we just go from there and we've just been slowly evolving uh, as, as we go and you know, there's just been a, a steady uptick in improvement. Yeah. It's good stuff. And I, I've probably shared it on a previous episode before. Um, although it's worth resharing or maybe I haven't shared it before, but the, the visual that I always have in my head and remind myself of, uh, and it's so amazing that Omniture did this is there was a hallway um, in Omni- at the original Omniture headquarters in Utah that had a framed printout of the Omniture.com homepage over the years. Oh, I think um, you mentioned that to me. It is such a cool visual to go back and look at like how janky those first couple ones and almost yeah. embarrassing they were, but it's like that's how everything starts. And we, we have this recency bias where we remember these like last-minute things. I got to kill my... Uh, notifications here but we have this recency bias where um we we only remember the the last couple things like it's always been this clean and crisp and good it's like no everything starts out a little like embarrassing and janky and you're just you know not proud of it but you get started and you evolve so well i mean that's why so many people have ideas for products and they never come to market because they have this vision of this perfect product that they want and it's going to take you multiple uh, revisions to get there. Yeah. And chances are even like the perfect version, you know, the imperfect version that you put out. And I don't mean when I say imperfect, I don't mean flawed. I don't mean buggy. When I say imperfect, it's it's not meeting what your vision is of it. But even one that isn't perfect per your vision, people are still going to buy. Yeah. And then that gives you a chance to really start building towards something. Yep. Agreed. I know there's, I'm sure there's some saying out there in startup land about if you're not embarrassed of your first offering, you're, you're not going to market fast enough or something like that. Is that an actual saying or I, I, I'm sure, no, I think there is something like that out there. I don't know who coined that, but I, I, I vaguely remember something. Well, there, like there is another there. one. It's uh, shipped is better than perfect. Yeah. Yep. You know, and pe- and people confuse that with. You know, shipped, you know, when you make a comparison of shipped versus perfect, you're talking half-assed versus to something that's functional. No, shipped is something that's functional. It's something work that works. It's just not your vision of perfect to go because you, you'll never yeah. attain perf- perfection. You're just going to keep working on it and it's actually never going to get out the door. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's true. And I think it's something that um, we, we all struggle with. To varying degrees. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I may have talked about it before, but I sat in on a keynote at one of the uh, Adobe Summit sessions in Salt Lake. This was many, many years ago. Um, uh, Seth Godin was was giving the keynote, and he, he gave this story about 
um, thrashing um, as it mm. relates to failing to ship. And he said the 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 best companies, the best shippers in the world thrash early, meaning we get together very early in the ideation phase and we, we, we fight and we debate and we argue and we thrash around and then we come up with some kind of plan and we move forward and we ship. He said, but people's natural instinct is this reptilian brain where the closer we get to shipping, the more fear we have of shipping. And so we, we start thrashing around and we, we never ship. And, and I think a lot of that is that inborn perfectionism that a lot of us have that we get so close to shipping and then we start thrashing and say, well, it's not quite perfect. There could be a little better. We can knock some of the rough edges off. So to your point, it's not about putting half-assed stuff out there. It's not putting low quality stuff out there. It's we've got it to a really, really good state and we're still not good with it. And when we start to have that argument with ourselves, it's a, it's a key there. It's a, it's a moment that we need to remind ourselves now's the time to, to ship. And we can always put another version of that out in the future. Yeah. Yeah, it, so. it, it totally. And, and that's, again, I, I just go back to like that. That's why so many things never come to market. You know, there are so many ideas yeah. people have and, and, and you never, you never see it. And like, there, there were a couple things, like if I, I use this podcast as an example, like our, our humble little podcast, you know, we started kicking around ideas and then it was like, do we have this? Do we have that? Do we have the perfect logo? Do we have, uh, is our intro perfect, good enough? Yeah. Is our intro good enough? And I mean, it's been on my my list to to update, and I actually do want to work on that. The the end of this year is is you know for the beginning of next year, actually introduce a new new intro. But you know, we we didn't have video. We right. had a very basic intro. We didn't even have a logo at the time. And if we waited for all of those things to fall into place, we we would have never We'd have gotten it out the door. Yeah. yeah. And then the other thing I had to get over was just the sound of my own voice. I hate the sound of my own voice. <laughs> but so, now you like, like it, right? Because you've I've listened used to, to it, it so much when you're editing. Yeah. I've gotten I've gotten used to it. Um, yeah. I mean, what I pick out is the little things, like my little filler words. Yeah. And once I fix one filler word, I end up replacing it with something else. I, we we all do that. My, my biggest one, I think, right now is right. Right? Oh, don't say that. It sounds so bad, right? Right. Uh, yeah, it does. Um, don't say it. Uh, so, I mean, even that, I remember you, John, and I recording a couple episodes, and I kept coming up with reasons not to actually go in and edit and post them because I just don't want to hear my own <laughs> you voice. Didn't hear it. I, I just had to get over that 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 feeling and to actually get get something moving here. Yeah, I feel you. I feel you. All right. Well, what a do we have a topic for today? Are we we riffing or what? We're we riffing, doing? and I think actually you gave us a great thing to really dig into was the 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 paralysis people people run into. And with the minute you you mentioned the question from your son, I'm like, oh, we could really take this somewhere because I'm just behind on things this week, so I really didn't get a chance to flesh out a topic. So I think it's really really good to to dive into, yeah, um, because. Um, the last episode that we recorded, you, Hila, and I, we started talking toward the end about experience in analytics. And we're definitely going to have a full follow-up with that. Our friend Stephen Marshall reached out to us. Um, and I actually, he gave us a bit of an idea, and I'm going to spend some time talking with him about it, kind of flip the script and have him interview us and a few others talking about experience. What do you look for in inexperienced people and what do you see when you see someone who doesn't have experience yet but has the potential to become that really seasoned professional once they've had time so for the sake of a tangent i do want to go down that path yeah. but let's let's take it down this path this week around 
focusing on people actually getting started and waiting, waiting for perfection. Um, you know, sometimes you just need like that kick in the ass to actually get started. And then uh, once you get build momentum, you're able to actually really develop something. And we, we talked about this a long, 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 long time ago. Uh, with success stories, for example, Mm, mm -hmm. you know, whenever you see stories around highly successful people, it's always at a point where they, they had an idea, skip four years, and then they're highly successful. You know, they, they've opened up their 10th store or they've started their second brand, or they've got a major distribution deal with, with a target or a Walmart, you, you missed them trying to actually get the first thing out. Yeah. Uh, you see that so many, so many times. Um, I mean, like there, there are people who I think are, uh, are, are canonized into like business sainthood that they could, you know, that, that they just had this idea and it just, just took off. Um, and whether it's, you're being an entrepreneur and you're trying to launch a major brand or you're just trying to get started in your career and build your own personal brand and, and who you are, you just have to start at some point and where a lot of people get paralyzed is waiting for that unicorn of a moment to actually kick something off. Yeah. You're right. And and I think there's a lot of different directions and I have lots of different thoughts, but, but one thing that, that came to mind with that, that last piece of it is I was, I was talking with um, a friend of mine earlier this week and the conversation was about building a company and we we talked about building 336 and we talked about the process and and he said you know how did you get started can we talk about investment in sales and marketing and how you made that work and i'm like honestly we're eight years in and we we still really don't have a formal sales and marketing strategy we we surely don't have a sales and marketing budget we don't have full-time sales and marketing people we kind of all do it on our own and he said, well, well, how did, how did you get started? And I said, well, I think each of us individually um, have spent a long time building our, our personal brands that has then translated into business for, for the company. And I think for me, there was a very poignant moment. Uh, I want to say it was somewhere around the 2007, 2008 timeframe. And it was over the Christmas holiday break. Uh, I was working at Spark Networks, running analytics and optimization, and I had become kind of disillusioned. I was frustrated with the industry. I was frustrated with everyone I knew on social. All they did was talk about analytics. I was just bored, and I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. I I was at the prefaces. I was at the edge. Uh, I was at the precipice. Precipice. I was at the point where I just wanted to walk away and do something completely different. I wanted to reinvent myself and and what I wanted to do. And I don't know what hit me, but something something struck me. I was actually doodling, and I wish I could find the drawing somewhere. I may have a digital copy of it, but I was doodling a pickup truck that had some boxes in the back of it. And for some reason, I started labeling the boxes with analytics terms. Um, and it ended up becoming the logo of a site I had called emptymind.org many, many years ago where I started talking about analytics and I remember that blog. Do you? And, and some Randy introduced me to it. Awesome. Like a good 10 years ago. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was around that time frame, and something just clicked and said, 
I am going to double down and, and do this. And it's weird to think about now that I was so close to walking away from the industry that I was so fed up with it. But I said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to double down and do it. And that's when I really started to invest heavily in building a personal brand and putting in the work and getting, you know, my name out there. And fast forward, you know, again, my this friend of mine's asked me, how'd you do it? I'm like, well, I made the decision back in 2007, I was going to invest in it. And it's taken me better part of a decade to get there right like it just damn it i just said right um uh it it just for most of us it just doesn't happen overnight it's it's a matter of setting a, a vision and and getting started and then putting in a tremendous amount of work to get there you know thinking thinking about being embarrassed of your first offering so Back at this same time frame, um, 2006, 2007, I was a big fan of The Thunder Show, uh, which was Gary Vaynerchuk's original wine library wine reviews videos that he would publish. Um, and it was just a small group of, you know, maybe a few thousand people that followed him at that time. Now he's got millions of followers. But at that time, you know, there, and he still has the videos on YouTube. We should link a couple up because if you've seen any of, of Gary's content now, it is so highly polished and good. Back in 2006, like it was grainy and dark and he was fighting to figure out what his brand was, but he, he did it. And then people look at him now, he's like, oh, he just, he popped up and he's a success overnight. No, like he struggled and like tried to make this work for a long time. Um, and, and that's, that's the path. Um, but unfortunately, for some reason, there's there's two scenarios that I see happen. One, we sanitize that for some reason. Lots of people sanitize that and don't like to tell that story. They like to tell the story that they have overnight success because for some reason that makes them look better. Or we just don't talk about it. Um, and I think it's a shame because it's a natural part of the journey and we need to help people understand that. Um, but more recently, it's almost like we've over glorified that front part of the journey and we're to the point where we're making up how much the struggle was to a point where it's just not believable and that's not doing us any kind of favor either yeah and, and let, let, let's let's talk a bit more about the sanitization because i see that more often than not um with people and, and we i see it in 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 every facet of life these days People want to, you know, people seem to want to curate this perfect vision of themselves, this perfect vision of their, their career. Um, and I'm curious as to why that, that, that may be, I can think of a couple of reasons. Is it because maybe they, they feel that people are going to look down on them a bit of maybe some, some imposter syndrome there could be. Could be. I, I think a big part of it is just what we see. I, again, it's it's the things that are most visible to us are are helping shape the way that we react to it. And Fair it's point. interesting. It's it's an interesting point you bring up because last night I found myself kind of bored, just like laying around on the couch, and I pulled up Instagram and I pulled up the um, search feature, like things that they're recommending that I might might like, and I start scrolling through it, and I'm like. None of this is real life. Like all of this stuff is staged. In fact, there's some websites out there that are really fascinating that have deconstructed a lot of these like influencer posts to show how they're like staging them with angles and, and stuff. Oh, to, like, you got to send that to me. Not, not to be totally unrealistic about what they're they're doing, but 
it's it's what we see so whether it's the the instagram influence of these people of like oh this is the perfect lifestyle or i don't know about you but on facebook i've been being force fed these ads of people that run agencies and they're like promoting this image that they just have everything going for them and it just you know we i made this decision like i was broke and one day i decided to do my own thing and now i have like 20 sports cars behind me in my mansion in Malibu and 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 people buy into that and we believe it and a lot of times it's it's not true whether you know it's that case there's there's a lot of people on YouTube and I don't want to call out the 20 somethings but they tend to be the biggest culprits of this that go out and rent houses and rent cars and then make promotional videos for their business and like in from their house or from their car showing off how successful they are, but it, it's just a day rental or something. It's an Airbnb and it's not even theirs, but they're promoting this image and it's very dangerous. It's very harmful. I think the dude from Tiger Tiger King, the dude I was in about Vegas, to bring him right? up, Jeff Lowe. Jeff Lowe was similar accused type of, of thing. Doing a complete that. fraud, right? Like if I say right one more time, I'm punching myself in the face. Uh, I wouldn't okay. go that far. <laughs> All right. But but he was similar. If you watch Tiger King, like that's what he was accused of. And it I, it wouldn't shock me to believe that his mansion in Vegas and all of this stuff was, was just manufactured. It wasn't, it wasn't mm-hmm. real. Well, th- there's a couple things to that because it reminds me of like the, the light, late night infomercials, especially when I was in college. I'd be up late. Is it the guy buy this ad and post it in a newspaper and be a millionaire and walk on the beach? There's there's that guy. There's a couple others. And I just remember when I was in college being up late and seeing some of those late night infomercials where it's like, if you just follow my five easy steps, you'll have a house just like me. And then the camera zooms out. There's a pool. There's this. Um, So it's it's pre-internet. It's pre-social, right? Like this has been happening. Yeah. It's just I think people are able to do it much easier now. Yeah. Technology is enabled more to publish for sure. Yes. It's much easier to get that out. So people have always done that. And I think it's one, the people who fall for that want the easy button. They, they want a, a quick way to get somewhere. And I think that goes back to where we started the conversation. There's no quick way to get there. You're not going to have a YouTube channel with highly polished content uh, with thousands of subscribers right off the bat. You just have to start somewhere. You have to walk the path. Yeah. You've got to go there and, and cause the stuff that you, where you, how you get that polished content, you don't get there. You know, you, it just doesn't magically appear. It's just that that's part of the learning. It, it is. And, and people want it so badly though, but they don't want to do the work and it's hard. And, and, and that I think goes to this day. I mean, I think the spam is down a lot, but at one point in time, I, I I think I have followers and people I know that bought their followers and bought bought likes, and that people are so desperate to get it overnight that they'll, again, it's they'll manufacture it. It's it's fake. Yeah, yeah. And oh, I was about to say say something. I just I just lost it. What were you you were saying? Oh, here here's what it is. Because I, I think of this all the time. Like when I hear people say like, oh, if I had to do that over again, I wouldn't do it. Well, then you wouldn't, there's a paradox there because if you wouldn't repeat certain things you've done in your life, you wouldn't be there. Now, I mean, now granted, that's a very broad thing and we are getting way, way off topic (laughs) with career, but you've got to think of it that way, right? You, you don't know until you know, 
You don't yeah. know until you learn, until you make mistakes along the way, what's going to work, what isn't going to work. So it, it does. It drives me nuts when I do hear people say like, well, if I had to do that all over again, I wouldn't do that. Well, then you wouldn't be here yeah. knowing what you know and knowing that doing that is a big mistake. Yeah, for for sure. And, you know, I, I don't know how we fix it. I don't know how we unwind it. And and maybe there are a few outliers that are just natural born genius prodigies that just show up and it's easy and it works but for the 99.999% of the rest of us to get to where we want to be we have to put in the work and it it is it is incredibly difficult um just speaking of this podcast right like getting it going and the momentum was incredibly hard do you, you remember um i, I can't it's probably a couple of years ago I, we were talking about this in some of our internal company meetings, and I used the analogy of the strongman competition where they pull the, the plane or they pull the locomotive down the track. Or the bus or something like and that. The yeah. bus, right. And those those first few inches where they're literally digging their nails into the pavement to get it to just move a millimeter is so incredibly difficult. But then all of a sudden they get that momentum and then it starts moving on their their own. Most of us don't get past the digging our nails in because it's hard. It hurts. And we we have to know that by suffering through that, that momentum is going to make it easier. But that's the only way through. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how we fix it. It's it's unfortunately rampant, and it's it's across it's across everything. Um, you know, when I was looking for a home and ended up purchasing the home I'm living in now, this was four or five years ago. Uh, looked at several homes, and and they all fit a similar model. And one very particular it was this beautiful home, um, kind of up on the hillside, overlooked the valley, um, brand new. Well, I was a couple years uh, old, but I walked into it. And I asked the uh, the real estate agent, I said, you know, this is the third home we've looked at that's kind of in this state. I feel kind of weird being in here. Are they moving out? Like, it looks like they're in transition because there was like a couple appliances on the counter. There were a few clothes in the bedroom. There was a mattress on the floor in the master bedroom. I'm like, this just feels weird to me. And and he said, no, like they're full-time residents of this this home you know we scheduled this visit they're out and I said what's happening here and he said you wouldn't believe me if I told you the percentage of people that have overbought into homes that it's the outside of the home they can't afford to literally put a toaster on the counter they've they've leveraged themselves so much but to the outsider it it doesn't matter and it just blew my mind and then it was funny a year later i was watching a documentary on this this guy that got busted for fraud who had this amazing penthouse apartment and when they eventually went and arrested him he had a shoebox in there a mattress without any sheets and a, a couple of cans in the pantry and that was it he he used it as a front to like show off that he was this big successful person and it was just it was all a fraud, and it's it's unfortunate that so many people seem to be living that way. Oh yeah, like um, to, to to get dig into my personal life a little bit, like that's actually conversations my wife and I have had the the last few months. So the house we're in right now, we're we're renting. I started rent, renting it a few years ago before before we met and eventually got married. Um, I mean, for me at the time, it was I was I was renting an apartment. I wasn't sure where I wanted to buy yet. So I didn't want to buy anything. Wasn't sure where I was going to buy, where I was going to land. And a buddy of mine 
um, had had this house available, and it's a, it's a nice house. It's a three bedroom row home, and we you know, he's like, "You're looking to rent." I'm looking to rent to somebody I I know, and I'm like, "Yeah, we were actually able to work it out that it's cheaper than some one bedroom apartments in this area." And the house is in is in good condition. It, it's great. It fit me great then. It, it it fit great when when I got married. My wife moved in, and since we got married, we've been looking to to, to buy a house, buy buy a permanent residence. And we, when we actually took a step back and stopped looking at houses, I'm like, we're we're looking for like this perfect unicorn to come mm. out of nowhere. You know, a nice yeah. big, you know, plot of land, nice big backyard off a main road, four mm-hmm. bedrooms, this, you know, two, you know, two baths or one and a half baths, like finished basement uh, or a basement that can be finished, like all of these perfect things, an office for me. And I'm like, if right now, like if we're going to find a house like that, it, it's going to be in this area, 500,000 or more. Yeah. And I'm like, we'll be house poor. You know, like exactly what you were describing, you know, we won't be able to actually do anything. And then we had a shit or get off the pot moment toward the end of the summer where my buddy calls me up and he's like, hey, you know, what have you guys been thinking? We're, we're thinking maybe, you know, it might be time to sell the market's up. And we kind of panicked at a moment at the moment, but then it kind of forced us to say like, we're actually really good here. Like mm. th- this is, this is perfect for us right, right now. We only have one child. Um, even if, uh, uh, when, when a second one comes along, we'll still have plenty of room. Like this is actually really good. And this house is a known, known entity to us. We know the condition of the roof. We know yeah. the, the condition of the basement and water. And we know the condition of, of all of those major pieces of, of the house. And I'm like, chances are since we, and we've been renting from them, we'd probably be able to strike a nice deal. And we did. Yeah, we, we, we got it for a nice amount. It's going to keep us significantly below our budget. And it's going to prevent us from overspending and not being able to do anything. And then maybe in three or four years, we'll sell this and, and move on to, to something else. Yeah, that that's awesome. And, and I think it's a really comforting, um, healthy place to, to be. Um, I mean, the old saying of keeping up with the Joneses, whatever is is true. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I had a, uh, I can't remember who it was at one point told me, um, when we were talking about the subject, he's like, I'll let you in on a little secret. Uh, everyone is concerned about themselves and they don't care about you. So if you're buying stuff to impress your neighbors, they're not even noticing. So yeah. you should do what's going to make you comfortable and don't do things to try to keep up, you know, those appearances. And it, it's just a, an unhealthy way to live. And again, a lot of the time it leads us into these shortcuts and kind of back to the conversation we're having is like, you know, you may think you're getting to a place you want, you know, you can put the facade on, you can buy the fake followers, you can put up the image that your business is 20 years ahead of where it is, but to what end? I mean, how long are you going to be able to keep up that, that grift? And even if you can, are you going to be able to sleep at night and be comfortable in your own skin? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, I can't think of a, a rebuttal to that. But I, I do know, like, when you talk about keeping up with the Joneses, there are a couple of people that I do know that that do that. They spend money purely to have what other people have. They want things purely because somebody else has it, whether, um, you know, they actually want it or not, or would they have ever thought of getting it had they not seen other other people do it. And you just want to go up to them and say, like, you're, you're, you're wasting money. 
like you you're you're spending money that you don't have or spending money that you shouldn't spend to to do that to to yeah put up this this fake image of of who you are yeah yeah and i think that's a good way to kind of bring it back to the conversation as far as what how we we kick this off um around um it's a it's a process you know for very few of us are is it an overnight success and it's a it's a conversation that we've probably all had with ourselves and maybe we've had with with friends and family members i remember a conversation with a friend who was frustrated at his his current housing situation he's like he's like but my parents have like this house and it's so amazing and i just want that and i'm like you do realize that they probably spent 30 or 40 years working to get to the point that you've spent five years working. Like it's not realistic. I mean, that's great. And Mm -hmm. I get it. And, and again, like that leads us to this point of, are we going to put in the hard work to get there? Or are we going to try to fake it? So we feel better about, about being there. And, and I think, again, a lot of people struggle that with that in their personal lives, as far as what they want and proper expectations. I think a lot of us struggle with that in, in careers and things that we're building, whether it's a career or the podcast or whatever, we all want that overnight success, but it, it just, it's not there. It's not in the cards. Yeah. I mean, I think we've all worked with that, you know, that person that, you know, is, is, is maybe one or two years into their career and they they dream of being in in management so yeah. they do everything they can to bypass things as as an individual contributor as just gaining experience rushing into to management so when they get in there before they know it they're they're overwhelmed um maybe not initially but th- they they become overwhelmed with the role because they didn't go they, they bypassed all of those learnings that you would need as, as an individual contributor and, and learning your own style working and your own management style. You know, I think you've put it best where you've talked about like you've made, you know, before you started this company, you made a list of, if I'm going to start a company, these are the things I'm going to do and not do because of my experience as an employee. Yeah. Yeah. And I think as employers, we need to do a better job of helping frame that that arc of what it looks like and we need to help employees not buy into the hype because i think employers are are buying into that look at all the made-up titles around to make people feel like they're in a position they're not kind of helping buy into that well if you don't give me my title i'm leaving okay i'll make up this made-up title for you that doesn't mean anything and isn't representative of what you're doing and it's just this really cyclical um process that is is unhealthy if you look at other um, if you look at other trades, I, I, I think it may be slightly different. I, I, at one point in time, whether you're an electrician or a plumber or a chef, there's like this known path where you study under a master and you're apprentice and you get better. And it's kind of assumed that this is the path I'm going down. Unfortunately, in business, we, I, we don't seem to have something in place where it's like that. And everyone's mm-hmm. goal is, how can I you know, step on top of the person and push them underwater so I can get ahead faster and get to where I want to be? It, it, it's, again, it's, it's very unhealthy um, and probably leads to a lot of the unhealthy cultures that we're, we see in a lot of companies, especially mm-hmm. big companies. Totally. So like my brother and several of my friends are, are all tradesmen. Um, so they, you know, after, after high school, I think a couple of them went to college for a couple of years and decided that wasn't for them. And they got involved in the trade. So they went through an apprenticeship and like a five-year apprenticeship, 
is is the minimum for for most of those trades. Um, and the whole point is is you 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 know your role. You're here to learn. There's a school there. There's a school factor to it, um, but then there's also the work factor to it. So you don't have people trying to bypass it. Like there's no way you can bypass that 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 stage of your career, and it's where you're working on, alongside like the senior level people, the master level people who are teaching you that. And I, I've mentioned it multiple times. I think that's the one thing the business world is is lacking is you don't have that kind of senior level or master level relationship with someone who's coming in at an apprentice level. It's be, it's because that everyone wants everything now, right? Yeah. I, I, maybe there's no apprentices to even stick around because they're not interested in that path. I want to go from graduating school to three months later, I want to be a senior vice president at a fortune 500 company. Yeah. Well, and it goes both ways. You're, you're right. Like there's the, the short term needs and desires on both sides. You know, I, I need you to come in and do this job today. I don't care where you're going to be at in three years. I need you to do this job for me today. Uh, and you're right. And then the, uh, on the other side, it's, well, I want that senior level role in four years, which yeah. is also unrealistic. You know, yeah. if I'm not, if I'm not in some kind of director role by the time I'm 30, you know, that, that, that's not good enough for me. Yeah. 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 And I, and I don't know how we, I'm, I'm looking up a tweet. Um, <laughs> I don't know how we, we fix that. Um, uh, but it's, it's definitely, it's definitely not healthy for the individual. It's definitely not healthy for, for the companies. Um, we need to talk to Steven. I'm going to put this as another college conversation with Steven. Uh, hold on. Um, because since he's in higher education, you know, cause I know he does a lot of work and has had a lot of success getting people, you know, started in their career and then they've, they've kind of had a good path. Mm. Uh, talk to Steven. Yeah. About... He would be awesome. And I love the idea of having him as the, uh, the moderator, the interviewer. Yeah. But like one of the things is, is do we put, you know, do we kind of, you know, do we take our relationship with Steven, you know, work with him on that relationship to maybe see in our space alone. And I'm just spitballing at the moment. Mm -hmm. uh, do we kind of push, you know, our industry to kind of work this way, helping those that are, that are up and coming on what it takes to become a principal level implementer? a principal level analyst. Yeah. Um, just because you know what EVARs are and props are or dimensions in Google Analytics doesn't mean you're a principal level implementer. Yeah. It, I, it I takes, mean, go ahead, sorry. I was going to say, it takes a lot of stubbed toes and takes a lot of work to do. Building yeah. out implementations on two or three sites does not make you, you senior level. And I think the same thing through to like, just because you could put a, a, a nice dashboard, a nice workspace together, doesn't mean you really understand how to, to interpret the data. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we can, but I think it's a, a monumental mental shift to, to get there and we have to get out of this. And I, the tweet I was looking for, I can't find it, but, um, someone asked, why is this happening? I'm like, because we suffer from short-termism, like mm -hmm. everything we're trying to get, we're trying to get now this quarter, this is all we're interested in. And in, in order to get to a point of, like you're, you're talking about, it's, it's going to be a massive mental shift from both companies and individuals that the long game is where we, 
we really want to be because we can say, look, let's let's invest in truly making you the top of your trade. But if there's no value in that, then why am I ever going to invest the time in in doing it? And I, I think it needs to start with companies valuing that true expertise considerably more than than they are today. You know, I in my position, I'm fortunate fortunate enough to talk with a lot of different companies, and I get a lot of, see a lot of different insights and cultures. And one of the things, especially in analytics, I see is that they, they don't value that experience. They don't value the person that's been around for 15 years the, the way they, they should. And I often hear it like, well, why is he jumping off the bed again? I don't know what he's doing. Why, why, um, why, why would I pay a premium for, you know, to bring in this outside consultancy or why would I pay a premium to hire this person as my, you know, VP of analytics? You know, I, I, I know this guy whose son just graduated from high school and he knows a little bit about Google analytics. He put it on his blog. We can just hire him. I'm like, I, I can't even believe we're having this conversation that you're valuing someone with two months of experience, the same as someone with 15 years of experience. And, and until that changes the individual, what, what, what motivation does the individual have to go through a grueling path of truly mm-hmm. becoming a master if that's not being valued? The only the only thing they could be doing it for is self, which I think is the ultimate motivator. We're going to screw everybody else. I'm going to do this because it's the right thing for me and I'm going to be my own motivation. But I think most people, I think they'll, they'll find it very discouraging to put in the tremendous amount of work and be faced with a uh, an environment that really isn't valuing the work that they've put in to become a true master of their craft. Mm-hmm. Uh, I you know I think about it a lot. If you've you know we're, there's a lot of parallels to Juro um, Love Sushi and you know that apprentice program that he's put in place. But unless you're a top end eater that really understands sushi, are you really going to understand the grueling kind of process he puts his staff through to to put together a top quality piece of sushi most people are like oh it's tastes similar to the like 99 cent sushi i had down at denny's that they had it on there right and that's the unfortunate thing is that if the masses are comparing those two things it would be very it would be very disheartening and i think for a true master that means that a lot of times that internal that motivation has to come internally because a lot of times the the broader market isn't going to value the work that you put in to become a true master so here's my follow-up question to you. Have we as an industry allowed what we do to become commoditized by, you know, uh, how do I want to say it without offending anybody? Um, you can offend people. It's okay. Um, you know, like th- there are people out there in the space, you know, that they, they, they they're, um, they will take, you know, like the low ball offers. They'll take any work just to get work. Um, no matter, matter what it is. So have we as a group, you know, with just, uh, you know, anybody taking any work that comes down the pike, um, allowed our, our, our efforts to become commoditized? A hundred percent. Yes. And ultimately that's dangerous for everybody in the game. Um, mm-hmm it it's a it's a race to the bottom right if if that's if that's our path we're going to compete on on pricing and we're going to in order to make that work we're going to hire cheaper and cheaper talent less qualified talent we're going to do it quicker uh less quality 
because we're, we're competing on something that someone else is willing to do cheaper, faster, whatever. And, mm-hmm. and it's a losing proposition for, for everyone involved. I, I think on the upside for the brand that we're building, it's been a great motivator and push to say, we have to do something completely different in order to separate ourselves from that. I am nowhere near where I want the brand to be, but I think about it every day that we have to be deliberate in elevating our brand to something elite because if not, we're going to be lumped into the conversation with everyone else saying, yeah, I can do this. In fact, I was talking to Jen this morning. We were having a conversation about doing an implementation for a client um, and some of the companies that I'm talking to having misaligned expectations, particularly around timing, not not so much budget, but but timing where I'll go in and she's like, you really need to push these timelines out. It's hard for me to do my best work in X number of months. I'm like, I know, I, I get it. I, I'm talking to these companies and they're saying, well, why does it take you three months to do this? I'm like, three months is fast to do the, what you're asking for really, really good. And they're like, yeah, but I talked to such and such agency and they said they could spin up the same scope in, in eight days. And I'm like, okay, go buy that. Come back and talk to me when it's a complete dumpster fire. I'm going to charge you more because we're going to have to fix the crap that they broke. Mm-hmm. But but that's the constant conversation of, you know, being able to do these things right. It takes time. It takes expertise. And it, it, it takes people valuing it. And um, there's always going to be that market. There's always going to be that commoditization market where people are going to compete on price. I think if you're interested in the long term, you have to stand for something um, and you have to fight for something bigger than that. And in order to do that kind of going full circle to this conversation, it's incredibly difficult. It's really hard to build a brand around that. But if you're able to do it, you're going to have staying power. Um, and, and And ultimately, I think it's going to be more fulfilling. Yeah. And so, so to start to wrap things up to that point about you know, the, the, the long-term working toward the long-term, I heard this crazy statistic about podcasts mm. for like 75 to 80% of podcasts don't get past episode 10. I believe because it. I, I'm it shocked takes, they even get to episode 10. But, because yeah. it takes, you know, commitment. It takes, um, regularity, you know, picking a published schedule and keeping yep. to it. Yep. Um, and you're not going to get that instant gratification. You're not going to get hundreds of downloads on an episode on the day you publish it right out of the gate. It's going to take you to episode 200, 250 to get there yeah. because you need, you know, you need to slowly build an audience and an audience that knows that your episode is coming out. You know, you have episodes that come out every Tuesday and Thursday or every Wednesday or, or whatever you, they know when and an episode is coming. Yeah. It's it's so true, and and again, I think the common theme here is it takes time, it takes deliberate action and effort, and you can get there, but you have to be dedicated to it. Look, you can always well if you're in the position, you can buy it. You know, I think about people that are in a position to just buy kind of the appearance. Um, mm-hmm. We we built a cabin um, from scratch, and it took like six years. There are people mm-hmm. that are in a position to just drop money and buy something outright and i always think i don't think they would appreciate it as much as like me going six years in and like 
literally laying every log and making it mm -hmm. work. There's a level of appreciation for the work that you put into that. And I think the same could be said for our careers, for your podcast, for your website, for your personal brand. If you're in a position, you can go and buy the appearance, buy the followers, buy the look that you want. And even if it makes you, quote, successful from a financial standpoint, I still don't think it's going to make you successful from a personal standpoint. I think you will always feel empty and unfulfilled inside. And, and really the only way to get to that point where you really feel good about your accomplishments and what you're doing is to put in the hard work to get there. And it's it's going to be hard. It's going to be painful. Mm -hmm. There are going to be days you want to give up. In fact, you and I were talking about it, I think, yesterday where I said, I have to stop looking at the numbers sometimes because, you know, when I try to spin up some new content initiative, I instantly start looking at the numbers and I'm like, screw it. This is too demoralizing. You know, uh, it's hard. You know, you mm -hmm. have to push through those, those pain points in order to get to where you want to be. You can fake it, but you're just not going to feel, you're not going to be fulfilled. Agreed. So I think that is a, a, a good place to, to wrap up for today. Awesome. So this was a great conversation that, that came out of nowhere. I so, agreed. Yeah. Hopefully some people found some, some good nuggets of, of wisdom here. Yeah. And again, we got some great follow-ups. I'm going to chat with Steven this week because I think there's, I want to bring him in for more than one conversation. Uh, talking around this, just kind of getting started, building your career, what he's, you know, talk, have him talk a bit more about what he's doing with students. And then is there more that we can do to help put people on a good path and either not try to bypass stuff or just get frustrated? Yeah, agreed. Yeah, I'm looking forward to some of those follow-ups. Cool, man. So we'll right. go ahead and wrap up there for now and we will talk to everybody later. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of 33 Tangents. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review the show on your favorite podcast aggregator so others can find us. If you would like to reach us, you can do so by emailing podcast at 33sticks.com or on the web at 33tangents.33sticks.com. 33 Tangents is a production of 33 Sticks, an analytics boutique.